Welcome to the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast, where theology and youth ministry meet. Hey, welcome to this new episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. I'm here in our online studio with Bo Johnson. Bo uh, invents and galvanizes uh, for the table group. Uh, You'll hear a little bit more about what that means. Uh, He is also served as a youth pastor and in other areas of pastoral ministry uh, before he joined the table group. So excited to hear more from Bo. He and his family live in Utah. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Mike. Oh, man, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, excited for this conversation. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. So I've been a big fan of the Working Genius um, and of the Table Group for a number of years now. Uh, so really, really grateful. I just kind of cold emailed the info <laughs> uh, email address and was really surprised and grateful when I got a response from you. Oh yeah, you you definitely struck a chord. Um, there's a couple of us who work at the Table Group, which if you've not heard of that, that's founded by a guy named Pat Lynchoni, who has written a bunch of books about leadership. Anyway, he uh, seems to have a soft spot for hiring people who've been in ministry. So I spent a bunch of years in full-time vocational ministry um, and now get the opportunity to still do ministry, but do it in, a, in the context of the marketplace. But was a youth ministry major. Um, very, very... Uh, Late in that process, I realized I don't want to work at a church. <laughs> I don't, churches are full of politics, and I don't want to babysit the elders' kids. I want to go be on mission. I want to go be on the front lines. And so um, I went and spent seven years in public higher education. And then, of course, God has a great sense of humor. And so then we were part of planting a church that I eventually went on full-time staff at and did, did eight years, three years at that church plant, five and a half years in Atlanta at a large church there. Uh, anyway, so that's kind of the... That's kind of the story, as everybody knows. Don't tell God you'll never do something. <laughs> it's so true. Because here mm-hmm. we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I told God that I would never work a job where I have to fundraise my salary. And yet, here I am. Yeah. So Yeah, and I'm true. telling God that I'll never be a billionaire. <laughs> so... <laughs> good, luck with, good luck with that one. If it happens, then Thank remember you. us little people. <laughs> Uh, hey, Bo, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's always fun before we dive into today's topic, uh, which is about leadership and, and ministry and, and all that good stuff. I think it'd be really fun for our listeners to get to know teenage Bo mm-hmm. a little bit. So could you tell us a little about your first car, maybe first car accident or speeding ticket or okay, anything this, about your first car? This is so fun. Years? So I was one of the kids who didn't have a particular group. I had friends who were athletes yeah. and friends who were in student government, and I was in the band and in the youth group, but I didn't really have like a home. I was kind of everywhere. Well, um, I don't know why that's that important. It's kind of a little bit of me bebopping around. Um, yeah. My summer, I think it was before my junior year of high school, my uncle, whose name is Brad, he um, needed a different car. He drove a bright yellow Jeep Wrangler. And for the summer, I think for his job, he needed a pickup truck or something that he was renting. So my first real car is I got to borrow his bright red, you know, take the roof off Jeep Wrangler. Yes. I grew up in Northern California. And just to make the picture complete, that Perfect. summer I was doing musical theater and running track. And in the musical theater production we were doing, I played the upright bass. And so I had my upright bass sticking out of oh the back gosh. of my bright yellow Jeep Wrangler. And then, um, yes. of course... 
everybody can predict how this story is going to go. So I park it in the driveway. Growing up in Northern California, it never rains, Mike. It never rains in the summer. I don't need to take no, put the top up. of course up. not. And then, of course, that night, we got like four inches of rain. And, you know, 16, 17-year-old me didn't even think about it. Oh, it's raining outside. And then the next day, we went out in this car was so waterlogged and soaked and uh, i then had to face uncle brad of like i don't know how to make this work again <laughs> so that was my that was my first oh, car no. it was it was manual so that's how i learned to drive stick was driving yeah. my that bright jeep wrangler with an upright base sticking out of the back down highway five <laughs> and it never smelled the same again no, it never did <laughs> it's amazing I love that. I love that. Hey, so today we're talking about leadership um, in ministry. Uh, leadership matters. I think that should be a pretty obvious statement. Uh, sometimes theologically minded pastors can struggle to discern yes. how much overlap really exists between pastoral leadership and leadership in other spheres. Um, so we're going to be talking about leadership, spiritual gifts, and the six types of working genius uh, in order to help uh, you, our listeners. Uh, to minister to your volunteer teams, uh, to your the parents in your ministry, and to students more effectively, as well as for you, um, mm. because the reality is for us as youth pastors, we also come under leadership of our, our elders, deacons, um, senior pastors, and others too. So we're kind of in that middle management uh, space of, of church life. So I'm really excited for uh, this conversation. So Bo, could you uh, just give us some some brilliance hmm. and insight. No, I cannot. About... I just told you I left a Jeep on the driveway when it was <laughs> That's injury in El Nino. Okay, right. I don't know if I can give you brilliance. You know, Mike, I'm so glad that you teed that up the way that you did. And I, I didn't even yeah. have words about this until this moment, which is I think part of my hesitation to going into ministry, into youth ministry in particular, is so many of the people who are interested in ministry were interested in the theological side. and. Yeah. Um, interested in the talking about deep things and Arianism and, you know, predestination and diving into the Greek. And I valued all of that, but the leadership side was always so much more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, it actually uh, be created a, quite a bit of conflict when I was volunteering in a ministry and then uh, starting this, uh, being part of this church plant team is I like helping to make people move and have action and and focus and figure out what is our direction and clarity. And um, and sometimes, and we'll get into this a little bit as we talk about working genius, has, yeah. has opened so many doors of insight to me that um, I felt out of place and felt like I was annoying people when I would be asking those questions. And I would get lots of th answers like, well, it's both and, or, well, you know, if we don't yeah. want to cut anybody off or whatever. I actually got a, a doctorate in spiritual formation and leadership. And that was the first time that I had heard somebody really combine those two ideas that we yeah. can be, we can be, we can have spiritual formation and leadership. And one is not more important than the other. We have to have both at the table. And I even love the way you teed that up that thinking about leadership is a spiritual issue. It is a theological yeah, issue it is. that we should be mm -hmm. informed about, informed theologically about what it means to lead. And it's too bad that most of the books on the leadership in the leadership section at Barnes and Noble come from a secular perspective and not yeah. from a God first as creator, leader, author perspective. And so I wonder, Mike, if we 
first just start there with like kind of what I believe is a basis for how God views leadership. If I would take the risk of having a theological yeah. conversation about that yeah, really do. briefly. So my theological grounding about leadership comes from Genesis 1 and 2, that mm-hmm. in the beginning, <clears throat> God, we see in Genesis is these theological words. He is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. He is all places, all knowing, and everywhere, and uh, all powerful. And then he creates us. He creates people. And if you look in Genesis 1 and 2, he gives us something to do, something to know, and somewhere to be. And Mike, I think that that at its core is what it means to lead. To lead is to be in a place responsible for doing something and knowing something. So, and and where we get in trouble as leaders is either when we swing to the side of, oh, I don't know anything, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be disconnected, I'm going to be nowhere, and I'm not gonna know anything. Or which, which, when you think about that, the experience of a high school or middle school student across the chair, across the table from a parent, a youth pastor, a teacher who doesn't know anything, creates a sense of lostness. Or acro- yeah. across the table from somebody who's not present right there. How many p- times do you walk in a restaurant and see the people are with each other but not present with each other? So leadership is choosing to be in a place to be responsible for perfecting and, and your craft, the thing that you're supposed to know, and um, knowing what it is that you are supposed to do. What is it that you are supposed to lift and carry in the world? Yes. And then, Mike, the other danger to the other swinging to the other side is when we try yeah. to be in more than one place at a time. How many times, Mike, as a dad or as a pastor, have you gotten in trouble because we're looking over our shoulder, we're talking to somebody and looking over their shoulder thinking about the next person? Or we're, yep. we're engaging, we're on vacation planning the next vacation, or we're in a job, but we're thinking about the next job, trying to be in one, more yep. than one place. Um, or we're trying to know more than we ought to know or carry more than we ought to carry. My friend Michael says it this yeah. way, that, that sin is often that we are either trying to fix it, figure it out, or fit it all in. So you were meant to lead. That means you have a place that God has put your feet. Eugene Peterson says, theology divorced from geography. Theology divorced from geography gets us into nothing but trouble. That you have, you will not find a story in the scriptures that is not rooted in a zip code, in a place. You are meant to be in a place. And God has made you to know something. He has made you to be, to think and be able to do something with your hands and feet. And he's, he's made, given you the ability to help carry something. So, hey, that was a little yeah. speech about, the, well, let's think theologically about what it means to lead. Not just tips and right. tricks and best practices, but no, this is who yeah. I am and what I'm meant to help lead and contribute. Well, and as men and women who are created in God's image, right, that we, we reflect an aspect, an element of, of, who, of who he is, of who, who Christ is. Um, and so as his image bearers, um, how are we understanding um, the, the attributes of God and how are we understanding our own attributes, right? Mm-hmm. Our, and the ways that we imperfectly and incompletely reflect him. Um, and I think as we understand, as I understand who I am, you know, now that I'm in my mid-40s, 
um, it, it's easier now than when I was younger um, to, to look at myself and to, to really understand myself and my strengths and my weaknesses without shame or without mm. guilt, mm-hmm. but just with honesty Yeah, uh, to say, hey, these are some things that I'm really good at and that's not arrogant. And there's some things that I'm really terrible at. And yep. that's not a shameful thing. It just is what it is. And this is why we need the body of Christ, right? This is why we yes. don't do ministry alone. And this is why God created us for fellowship and for teamwork in in the church and in the world. Hmm. Uh, so I think understanding leadership um, theologically, uh, I, I would anchor it out of that. I love it. The other, as you're describing that, I feel the desire to say something to your audience, which I wish somebody had said to me, which is, um, Mike, we're in our forties. We are, we have had years and years and years of thinking about our own answers to what is it that I do and carry and where am I supposed to be? But Bo at 24 did not know that. And neither did Mike. In fact, I believe, and it's my experience in watching lots and lots of people who have clarity of purpose, that life goes through seasons. And I'm not the first one to come up with this idea. Lots and lots of people have written about the seasons of life. And so let me just unpack that really briefly. There's four seasons. The first season of life is identity, where you spend your first 20 years getting your identity settled. Who are you? How do you belong? How do you contribute? What do you believe? What do you value? An unsettled first season of identity often means we need to return laid back later in life back to that season of identity because that's the foundation. Um, yeah. Set the, the third season, I'll skip the second season, I'll come back to it, is the season of influence. The third season yeah. is where we know what we have to offer and we offer it. We know yeah. how we can help and so we help. But the second season is a season of exploration. And if you will go and look through the scriptures, you will see this in the story of Moses. You'll see it in the story of Joseph. You see it in the story of David. That there is a season of, of you might call it wandering. I like to call it exploring. Where And Mike, this is terrifying to listeners. It's a 20-year season where you're... Yeah. It can't your, be. Your goal is to lay a lot of dots without the pressure or expectation to connect them. So let's go back to what we said before. If you're in the season of exploration, which I think is about age 20 to 40, what you ought to be doing is doing that Genesis 1 thing. You ought to be learning. You ought to be carrying responsibility, figuring out what is it that you can do to help and be fully present in your place. And what will happen is you will wake up in the third season with influence. But so often people who are, the reason people have midlife crises is they skipped the season of exploration. They didn't let themselves be able to say, I'm going to, I'm going to pick up responsibility here without feeling the, um, the guilt or expectation that it's what I'm going to do forever. If we think about life, like it's trajectory, like it's a straight line, we'll think I need to get started as soon as possible. But if we think about it, like it's a story, it's like, I'm going to look back I've had no idea that the things that I was carrying before were preparing me for what I'm doing next. So um, you're, everybody who's listening, you are not behind. You yeah. are not stuck. God has you where you are on purpose to develop you for something he's preparing you for later. All right. So let's dig into that. Um, so because like you said, 25-year-old Mike. Yeah. Um, got hard, um, well-intended, honest feedback and evaluations from people like 43-year-old Mike. 
and was offended and defensive and too immature um, and undeveloped to receive the help. And mm-hmm. instead, I took it the worst possible way that I could have, mm-hmm. right? So if you are a young youth pastor, uh, maybe you're full-time, maybe you're bivocational, maybe you're um, a volunteer in the ministry, and you're doing your best, um, and you feel like you have something to give, and the other you know, older people won't let you do it or whatever, right? And so there's um, that tension, right? What do we risk by unintentionally um, having an immature or underdeveloped approach to pastoral leadership? Wow, it's, what a great question. I mean, you felt like you were reading my journal that same. I, well, it was, I was easily offended. I was defensive. And so much of it came from this feeling of, oh, no, I'm behind. People aren't valuing me. And what I find, Mike, is the wisest people are people who know they're still a beginner. And so <clears throat> if we will show up and we'll leave, do the lead card of, I'm a beginner. I used to talk to people about, call it, play, play the grad school card, play the grad student card. Yeah. Just imagine you are, a, you are still a student and your job is to learn everything you can. But um, here's the cost is you actually, first of all, when you are young and you don't have a posture of learning, you don't distinguish yourself. The most impressive people are people who lead with humility. To ask, what's it like to be on the other side of me? What's one thing that I did really well there? Tell me how I could do that differently. And we're going to talk about a tool that I think can help give you a cheat code to be able to understand some of that. But um, maybe the best, the best way to do that is just kind of what, what some people would call exposure therapy. Don't try to yeah. do it perfectly. Just um, sit down with a friend and say, hey, what's one thing that I do that, that, that helps our friendship and one thing that I do that hurts it? And sit down with your parents. And say, what's one thing yeah. that I do in this family that helps? And one thing that I do that hurts? Um, and but so, you need to actually be willing to hear it. Of course. Right? Um, if you, I just know there are times when people have asked that, and then you give an honest answer, and they just wanted flattery. Yeah, and then here's the secret sauce, Mike, yeah. is say, here's a four-word four secret sauce. Is there anything else? Is there anything else? Yeah. Is there anything yeah. else? So word. the danger when you're yeah. young is that you will not yeah. distinguish yourself. You will, you will accidentally put a lid on you. People want to be able to help you. And then the danger when you're older is this, that my friend Andy, Andy has said. People who refuse to listen are eventually surrounded by people who have nothing to say. People who refuse to listen are eventually surrounded by people who have nothing to say. So... um, yeah, that's hard. And and maybe, Mike, when it's hard, when it's hard to get that feedback, let's go back to identity. Let's go yeah. back and read Ephesians front, front to back. Let's go back yeah. and read what Jesus has said about us. Let's go back and, and remember, I'm a child of God. I am chosen. I do not have to fight for approval. Um, I am beloved. My Father in heaven sees me and accepts me and loves me. Um, there is no prize in heaven for having a bigger audience, a bigger youth group, a bigger crowd. Your name is written in the book of life, whether you are influencing one student or a million students. Um, you're, you're, and you have no idea the seeds that you're planting, what they're growing into. So yeah. um, 
this is cool. I didn't expect this conversation to go yeah. this way yet, but I love it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, so I've been uh, following along with uh, the six types of working genius um, since pretty soon, I think, after it was released. And it's been really helpful for me um, as I've been uh, developing and leading um, this ministry uh, of youth pastor theologian. Um, and so could you just walk us through what, what what is the six hmm. types of working genius? What's that model? What are the different types? Um, kind of where do they come from? Yeah. Uh, can you just, yeah. Give okay, us a I love snapshot it. of the six types of working. So I needed another personality instrument. Like I needed another Bible. Okay. I've got plenty. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't mm-hmm. read all the ones that I have. Okay. So yeah. we didn't need another personality Im- instrument, but my boss, our CEO, Pat Lanchoni, um, was the CEO of a company that he loved with people that he loved doing work that he loved, but he was burned out and frustrated. And he, and he wondered, why is that? And most people, when they wonder why is that, they just brush it aside. But Pat doesn't do that. He said, no, but really, why is that? Why is it that I will love my job and then be so burned out by my job at the same time? And long story short, the discovery is that there in any type of work, whether you are planting a church or planting a garden, whether you are writing a book or writing an email, or you, whether you are leading a team or leading a mission trip. There are six types of work. There are six types of work. And God has given, we've had 800,000 people take this assessment. Um, it has been statistically validated for all of you Presbyterians who want statistical validation. I don't know if that joke was funny, <laughs> but I tried. Um, that that there, you, are, you get joy and fulfillment from two of them. We call those your working genius. You get drained, exhausted, depleted so quickly by two of them. We call those your working frustration. And then there are two in the middle, your working competencies. So I'll walk you through, Mike, we can do this together because you know this so well. Yeah. I'll walk you through the six types. And it probably is immediately that you know at least one of them that you're like, that is something that gives me joy and energy and fulfillment. And then there's going to be one that's like, yeah, that's a little draining. Now, now let me make sure I'm being clear here. This is not about how good you are at it. It's where you get joy and energy. In fact, yeah. think about it this way. I have multiple pairs of shoes. Some of the shoes like I'm wearing today are very, very comfortable. I could wear them all day long and go for a long walk on, in them. And then there are some of them that are the dress shoes that you wear at weddings and funerals that look pretty good. But boy, they give me, they are uncomfortable. I have to wear them for a long time. And some in the mm-hmm. middle. So um it's not about ability. It's not how good you look at doing that. It's, it's not even about what you've been recognized or rewarded for. It is, what yeah. is it that gives you joy and energy? Now, these six geniuses go in order. Oh, I should say one thing before I get started. I'm going to do this and you can reflect. And then Mike's going to put in the show notes. Um, we just decided to give 500 free assessments. So the first 500 of you listeners that go in and want to take this, it's a $25 assessment. Um, you can get that for free. In fact, if you have a spouse, send it to your spouse. If you've got a, a, a teammate you're working with, send it to your teammate because I think it will be really, really helpful. But Mike, any other qualifiers before we jump in to, to, to talk about these six? Geniuses? No, let, let's hear it. I, I, I'm here okay. for it. So the first six, imagine, is very high elevation. It's called wonder, the genius of wonder. That is, Mike, you have one of these, you have this genius. It is the ability, God-given ability, to be able to see potential and opportunities. People with the genius of wonder have been described like they have their head in the clouds, and thank God they do, because they can see things coming a long ways off before we do. They are really good at asking questions like, um, now what's the problem we're trying to solve? And, or what's the missed opportunity here? 
And um, the genius of wonder is really important. It responds to the environment. You can picture that person. It's like they're on the mountaintop. They're that scout, that lead ship that can see the question, but they don't always have the answer. They don't always have the yeah. invention or the, the solution for how we do that. So the first genius is wonder. The second is invention. Now, these geniuses are going to spell the word widget if it's helping you audio, you know, listeners to keep along. Wonder. The second, one, second is invention. Inventors respond to that wonder. They are the people, again, Mike, you and I are both inventors. That is, we love coming up with new ideas. I love a blank piece of paper. I love a blank whiteboard. I love coming mm -hmm. up with new and novel solutions. Now, sometimes I yeah. do that without anybody asking me a question. And sometimes I do that to the irritation of people around me, because here's a clue about your geniuses. It's what you do, even when it's not required. It's what you do, even when it's not required. And your frustration isn't necessarily the thing you're bad at, but it is like where you are likely to cut corners. So some of the people listening- Or that like, you're cattle oh, yeah. prodded into. What'd you say? <laughs> or that you're cattle prodded into. That you're cattle prodded into. Some of you yeah. are like me in those wonder meetings where you'd sit around and talk about big ideas for a long time. I'd be like, can we get to work? Okay, I would want to cut corners there. That would feel frustrating to me. But some of you are like, oh, yeah. I wish we had more time to be able to do that. Wonder is the first genius invention. But listen, not all ideas are good, okay? Not all ideas are refined. So we need the third genius, which is the genius of discernment. Thank God my wife has this genius. When we were newly married, I came home with an invention. I told my wife, we're starting an airline company. We got to solve short-term missions. The problem is airfare. We can, we're going to solve this. And her eyes got real big, like, what have I done? Who have I married? And uh, for years, Mike, <laughs> I thought that her discernment, which really is refining my ideas, it's being able to select what parts of them are right. It's being yeah. able to say what will work and not work, not forcing her to have data, but just trusting her intuition. I thought she just didn't like me. I thought she was just saying mm -hmm. no to me. No, she was helping yeah. refine my invention. So wonder, invention, yeah. discernment. Um, discernment is different than the spiritual gift of discernment, which we could talk about a little bit later. The fourth genius is then somebody might have refined the right idea, but we don't want to just live on a shelf or live in a meeting. We need it to get out there. We need to get people moving. We need to get people focused. That's the genius of galvanizing. That is, the, that is one of my favorite things to do, Mike, is we heard a sermon at church and then be in the hallway and get people moving, help everybody look in the same direction. Um, but even galvanizing is not enough because I would cast a vision from stage. I can get people looking in the same direction and I have no idea what to do next. How do we make sure people are involved and included and know how to take the first step? That's the genius of enablement. Enablement are the people who they're generally very kind. They're generally content to be in the back, uh, you know, behind the scenes. They are able to um, help somebody feel heard and the, and the vision is responded to by somebody with enablement. But even people with enablement don't get things across the finish line necessarily. And so we need the genius of tenacity. Tenacity is that drive that pushes something across the finish line. So widget, W-I-D-G-E-T, wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, tenacity. So Mike, you have, I, you're a wonder inventor. What are your frustrations? Yep. Uh, my frustrations are galvanizing mm. um, and tenacity. So good. So when it came time for youth camp, you were yep. great at coming up with the ideas and great at seeing the potential and breaking the rules of like how we, you, you are not hamstrung by how we've always done it before. But convincing volunteers to come, 
felt draining to you, right? Like mm-hmm. trying to have to rally the troops and and do that could sometimes be depleting. I'm not trying to read your your poem yeah. here, but d- does that resonate yeah. with you? Um, yeah, the, the way I've described it myself for years, um, and then th- this working genius model widget really helps clarify for me is that I'm really good at knowing what we're supposed to do. And I have some great ideas about what that could look like, but I am terrible at actually getting anything mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. So it's a miracle that youth pastor theologian even exists. I love it. Because I have a ton of ideas about what we can do, what's the problem, how do we address it, um, but actually carrying that, getting other people on board and carrying that ball across the finish line. So Mike, imagine, not, my, so my, my frustrations strengths. are enablement and tenacity, which means that mm-hmm. I was often given feedback of like, Bo can be a little curt yeah. or Bo doesn't seem to care about people's feelings yeah. or why do we have all these ideas and they get I, they start to get activated and then we're on to the next idea. Well, imagine yeah. if I had brought my working geniuses to my volunteer team or to my wife or to my leader and said, hey, I just want to let you know something I'm learning about myself, which is I love inventing and galvanizing. You can, you can give me more of that. I love that. I'd love to yeah. help. But, and here's something that I'm learning is the work that I'm frustrated by and I'm not very good at and I can feel really guilty about is these. So I'm not giving you an excuse for why I can't do those. I just want you to know I see that. I want to grow mm-hmm. in those areas. And I really want to, I really like you to help me think about who in my life loves doing that work that I could lean on. Because Mike, it's hard for all of us to believe that somebody could love the work and our frustrations. Yeah. And so we feel guilty in uh, delegating that or inviting somebody else to step into their genius when the truth is they love it. Mike, if I'd been yeah. on your volunteer team and you had said, Bo, would you galvanize these students to come to the lock-in or to the retreat or to read their Bible? I'd been like, oh my gosh, I get to do that? But I don't have to come up with the game plan and you're going to have somebody else. I just get to get them there. I would love that. And yeah. the same thing, I would feel guilty being like, Mike, could you like help me think about the possibilities for this podcast and kind of think about the potential of what we might be reaching or, or new things we haven't even considered? I'd feel like, oh, I should be smart enough to be able to do that. But you would love it yeah. and you'd be very good at it. Yeah. And, and in time, I've learned to be competent at things that I hate doing and that are draining for me. And in my abundant love and compassion for my team, I continue doing those things because I yes. think surely no one is going to enjoy doing these things mm-hmm. and I've learned to do it fine. So I'll take one for the team and I'll keep doing these things that I despise. And what happens? Meanwhile, Mike? my leaders are like, Mike, you stink at delegation totally. and you need to let us help. Yep. So if you had all your volunteers know what their geniuses are, right. And then yeah. trust each other. Vulnerability is just the ability to say, you could do this better than me. Could you help me? Yeah. Everybody will improve. In fact, your volunteers are less likely to leave if they're getting to use their mm-hmm. geniuses. Burnout is not about how much work we're doing. It's the type of work that we're doing. Yeah. And my experience is I'm never tempted to wear those dress shoes to work and wear them all day that I wear to the funeral. But I'm tempted mm-hmm. sometimes to wear the shoes that are a little uncomfortable, right? So we mm-hmm. find that more people are burning out doing work in their competencies their frustrations, they kind of know, yeah, I don't know yeah. if doing that, but it's their competencies yeah. that lead to burnout. So let's go back to the beginning of what yeah. we talked about. What if God has given you limits? What, is, what if God has, just like he placed Adam, Adam in the garden and he gave him limits of where, what to eat and what to not eat, he gave him 
limits of what his body could physically do compared to other animals. He gave him limits in terms of um, what he's supposed to know and not know. God's giving you limits. Isn't that so cool? We can lean in and, and stand taller on the strengths he's given us without feeling the burden or pressure to try to be perfect at everything. And we can say, I actually can serve people and bless yeah. people and be better united to people when I know how I can contribute to them and, and how I can actually ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how to ask the question exactly, but there's a very real spiritual component to this, right? Because it's, it, it drives at who we are mm-hmm. um, and how God designed us. And the ministry that he has called us into is not accidental, right? Do we trust God's providential call, uh, God's leading, that we are where God has placed us? And that's a good thing um, in all the joys and in all the struggles that, that can involve. Um, so how do we, how do we practice something like, um, I'm, I'm going to go back. How does something like working genius tie into our spiritual giftedness and mm-hmm. our pastoral calling, um, our ability to lead our volunteer team and our ability to work as part of the pastoral staff? Um, what are some of those overlaps that would be really helpful for our listeners to chew on? The first thing that comes to mind is that the best type of leader is a self-aware leader. The, be- the, the people that you love working with the most are the people who are aware of who they are. So this was just a cheat code to being a more self-aware leader and, uh, and a more humble leader. Humility is not yeah. self-deprecating. It's not thinking less of yourself, as C.S. Lewis said. It's about thinking about yourself less. It's saying, yeah. um, and then, you know, what happens is what great leaders do is they lift other people up. They help other people leverage their gifts. And so if you are like I was, somebody kind of always looking to have more validation, more title, more influence, more authority, um, I think that you can start doing a lot of the things of leading. I'm putting leading in air quotes. Like, um, yeah, you can start leading today by doing some of that work. And then let me tell you something else that it helps you do is um, being, a, being an associate pastor or youth pastor is tough. I've never been a lead pastor. So I know what it's like to be in that middle management seat, both at a small church and at a huge church. And um, it's frustrating. You, to, you, have to, you have thoughts inside your head like, well, when I'm in charge, or here's how I would do it. Or, and let me tell you, your lead pastor, your elder team, they're not leading the way that they want to. They are leading imperfectly. They have limitations. They only have two geniuses. They have parts of their story that are still getting formed. So, first of all, wouldn't it be great if we all just took a breath and remembered, oh, yeah, my lead pastor is also limited. They are finite. And knowing some of their frustrations and geniuses will help you know how to be able to use them better and trust them more. I don't know what your relationship with them is like. It might be hard for you to send them assessment, but if you you could just consider that and think about that, that they're limited. Yeah. Then let me encourage you to do, here's two things that I think that you could do that would distinguish yourself. One, you're a smart person. You know what problem that lead pastor has, what that elder team has. So 
What if you just took some, some initiative and started thinking about how you might solve it? Um, yeah. Number two is this, and this might be sensitive and please pray and discern how to do this well. Every single leader, every leader hopes that their team below them will hold one another accountable. And every single team member hopes that a leader will hold teammates accountable. So let me encourage you to be brave and to think about, I wonder how I could help build more trust on this team and not wait for the lead pastor for me to help hold the people around yeah. me accountable. Now, I'm not saying you go up to the worship leader and tell them to stop singing you know, that <laughs> song flat or to over, go over yeah. time with their announcements. But I'm saying, yeah. you know what leadership will be like someday if you're truly in the leadership seat? It'll be lonely. Um, and you will have to have lots and lots of conversations you don't want to. So start becoming the person today who starts having those. Have the same conviction with the volunteer individually or the student individually that you do publicly. That you might have, you might publicly be talking about something with conviction and then you're a little bit of a wuss one-on-one. Think about what it would be like for you to be able to, to do that courageously one-on-one. Now, we're way off topic all of a sudden, Mike, about working genius, but I'm just thinking about... Um, you don't have to wait until the word senior is in front of your name right. to begin behaving and, and, and doing the leadership things that are in front of you. Well, I don't think we're way off topic because I forget the terminology so you can fill it in. Um, the, the first three geniuses are disruptive. I, I remember that part because mm. my two are. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there which are three. Which makes me hard, like, with, uh, right. So can you walk through those okay, briefly that's great. and maybe. One final piece of advice about how those affect our ability to both lead our teams and serve on a team where we are not the leader. Okay, this is great. Thank you for getting me back on track. So there are three geniuses that are more disruptive and three that are more responsive. The responsive geniuses are wonder, that response to the environment. Discernment, discernment is responsive because it responds to people's ideas and enablement. Enablement is more responsive. That picture somebody sitting back in their chair. In fact, if you have two more responsive geniuses, sometimes you've people have, t- have wondered why you're a little passive or why you're kind of mm-hmm. leaning back. But thank God for the more responsive geniuses. We need them as much as we need the disruptive geniuses. The other three geniuses are more disruptive. Inventors like Mike and I, we ide- new ideas always shake things up a little bit. They're always a little bit disruptive. Galvanizing is disruptive because it's saying, hey, everybody, look over here. We got to get focused. And tenacity is disruptive because it's like, come hell or high water, we're going to get this thing across the finish line. So um, you're, again, remember, remember, these are all six of these are required for every type of work, which means work goes between being more responsive and disruptive. So you can be more self-aware to know what type of work is needed right now and how am I showing up? I am double disruptive, which means in every environment, my inclination is to be disruptive, but it's not what is always needed. So the self-aware leader knows when it's time for them to step forward and when it's time for them to step back. The other thing, this would be tied to the last piece of advice, Mike, is we've all experienced this thing where, um, let me tell you a true story. So during COVID, we were trying to figure out how we were going to baptize a bunch of middle school students. And so we had, we had brainstorm ideas about that. We were decided we were going to do that out on the lawn. We were going to do a public event. We had a bunch of baptismal tanks so we could follow the state guidelines. And I, and now as, as I'm saying this, some of you are discounting me because I'm even talking about COVID, but just go with me for a second. 
And then we went through the phases of work. How might we yeah. do this? We might do this on the lawn. We discern the right number of tanks. We galvanized people to show up. We made sure people had, you know, their t-shirts and how they were going to be involved. And, yeah. and then yeah. that morning we're having a, a meeting about, okay, and what still needs to get done? And do we have enough donuts and all that stuff? And somebody, dear, sweet, well-intentioned person with the genius of wonder said, now what is baptism and what does it mean? And I wanted to throw a wrench across the table at them because I said, it doesn't matter what it means right now. What matters is we get these tablecloths on the tables and we get these tanks heated up because it's cold outside. So what they did, what we experienced in that meeting, we call turbulence. Because we start yeah. at this super high elevation of wonder. And then by the time we get to tenacity, that plane is about to land. And some of you well-intentioned wonderers have pulled the stick up and we have flown back up to 30,000 feet and it feels like this turbulence. <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> you could just as easily ha have a story like this, which we've all experienced. Yeah. We're having a meeting where we're talking about, we need to get more pe we need to get more students in small groups and how are we going to do that? And, and we're having a high elevation wonder invention type meeting. And somebody goes, like a, a well-intentioned wonder inventor is like, well, maybe what if we considered having students meet in homes instead of meeting, you know, at the church? And then one of your well-intentioned people with tenacity says, well, we can't do that on Tuesdays because our sandwich shop is closed on Tuesdays. And you felt this elevation change again from like, oh, no, we weren't yet to the tactics of how we were going to get that done. We weren't yet to the decision line of what we needed to do and make it happen. We were still brainstorming. So right. again, we can cause disruption because our geniuses are more responsive, disruptive, and we can cause disruption because we love meetings at our own elevation and we can pull things in that direction even when it's not needed. So um, that would be my advice. Be more self-aware. Yeah. Think about what's the conversation you're going into. What's the real conversation they're trying to have? And have one conversation at a time. Even if you're leading yes. volunteers, you can say, hey, we're having a brainstorm meeting. We're not yet to the tactics. Or you might say, hey, this is a we're getting it done meeting. We're going to brainstorm later and think about potential. But right now, this is just get it done. Does that make sense, Mike? Does that, is that helpful? Yeah, it is. And I think one of, the, one of the aspects that I think is really helpful and practical about the widget model and the, the, the process is... If you're having a conversation about galvanizing um, you know, it, or whatever, think about maybe the, the steps on either side are maybe acceptable. Uh, you, you could tell me is this, if this is wrong. The way I think about it is if you're having a conversation uh, about baptizing and how are we going to do baptism coming up, um, if you jump over multiple links in Widget, then you're pulling it off track, right? But that's right. Where in the discussion process and decision making process are you on the topic? And for me, as a wonder inventor, if we're talking about implementation, and I'm like, but what is baptism? Right? That's obnoxious, and that's really frustrating, and it's going to take the wind out of the sails. And part of me understanding myself and serving on a team is recognizing that I am not always the one running the meeting, mm. but there have been other times when we've been talking about um, scripture reading uh, during the Sunday morning service, and I was the new guy on staff and saying, okay, so what is the objective 
of scripture readings during our Sunday morning liturgy? What are we trying to accomplish without? And I feel wrong even asking why are we reading scripture during the during the service because obviously we should be, but why? Like, what is the objective? And it led to a really helpful and clarifying conversation for the entire staff in framing our approach to scripture reading. Hmm. Um, and so there are appropriate times to embrace your widget. Mm -hmm. um, and there are times to recognize the moment for this question has passed so I can just participate mm -hmm. as part of the team and support the decision. So yeah, anyway. Love it. Um, this is really, really helpful. I could keep asking you so many questions um, because I really do think that this is a very helpful model, um, not just for leadership, but for pastoral ministry. Um, and so uh, where can our listeners who are interested in learning more, learn more? Um, <clears throat> well, the, probably the best thing to do, Mike, is for them to go take the assessment. It takes 12 minutes and it'll send you a report. You can read about yourself. Again, the best a leader is a self-aware leader. Uh, and then in that report, there's a podcast you can check out and all that. But honestly, the best thing to do is to take the assessment and have one other person close to you take it and then talk about your geniuses. Talk about what you've learned. Push back. What is it that doesn't resonate about this? What is it that bugs you? Why do you think it bugs you? Does it explain where you've caused frustration to some people in the past or other people have frustrated you? Um, and then ministry is messy. Ministry is is not clean and linear and controllable. And so hopefully this gives you a little bit of a lens to be able to see through some of the mess. But no, it's always going to be a mess. And um, when you recognize that, then there's actually some beauty in it. There's some peace in there of like, you know what you're not? God has given you something to do. Um, and he's, and he's this side of eternity, there's going to just be some mess. So lean in, embrace your own mess, talk about it. and um, And I think you'll lead for more actually a position of strength. Love that. Well, thank you so much for your ministry. Thanks for joining us for this conversation and um, for your hand and the work in Genius and everything that offers to our youth workers and to our teams. Of course. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Youth Pastor Theologian Podcast. YPT's mission is to empower youth workers to pursue theological depth because we're committed to inviting students into a faith that's big enough to grow into. You can learn more about the ministry and other resources we offer at youthpastortheologian.com, and you can find us on most social media at Youth Theologian. <laughs> <laughs>